Welcome to a new episode of the Film at Lincoln Center podcast. This week, we're excited to present a special programmer's preview of the 61st New York Film Festival. NYFF 61 begins next Friday, September 29th, and runs through October 15th. Tickets to this year's festival are still available, but are going fast. To view available tickets, please visit filmlink.org TIX. Opening with the North American premiere of Todd Haynes' May-December, this year's festival will feature screenings across New York City's five boroughs, free talks with your favorite filmmakers, stimulating panel discussions, trivia nights, and much more. Listen to the following conversation with NYFF Artistic Director Dennis Lim, Revivals Programmer Dan Sullivan, Currents and Shorts Programmer Tyler Wilson, and Talks Programmers Devika Garish and Madeline Whittle as they break down the films and events you can't miss throughout this year's 17-day festival. Earlier this week, we announced the free talks for NYFF 61. The lineup will include poet and activist Nikki Giovanni, actress Sandra Huller, editors Sandra Adair and Jonathan Alberts, and filmmakers including Raven Jackson, Annie Baker, Frederick Wiseman, Todd Haynes, and many more. See the full lineup now at filmlink.org talks. Now please enjoy the conversation between Dennis Lim, Dan Sullivan, Tyler Wilson, Devika Garish, and Madeline Whittle. And we'll see you beginning next Friday, September 29th, at the 61st New York Film Festival. Good morning, and thank you all for coming. Uh, I'm just going to quickly introduce my colleagues. Uh, we'll do a quick run through of the program. To my right is uh, Tyler Wilson, um, who is um, one of the members of the Currents programming team uh, and also one of our head shorts programmers. Uh, to his right, uh, Dan Sullivan, um, who is one of the members of the Revivals programming team. And then we have uh, Devika Girish, who is a uh, deputy co-editor of Film Comment and one of the Talks programmers. And then we have Madeline Whittle, who is the other Talks programmer. Uh, we actually haven't announced the Talks lineup, um, so this will be a little bit of a, a preview for you. I wanted to you know, call attention to maybe just a few big picture points uh, in, in the, this year's lineup, but I thought I would start by just possibly preempting a question that I'm sure will come up uh, that I've been asked in every single interview, which is how the strikes are affecting the festival. Uh, obviously, we are four months into the writer's strike and, and, and more than two months into the actor's strike at this point. Um, to give you a sense of um, proportionally how this affects the festival, not very much. Um, this festival has always been an international film festival. I'd say that about... 20% of the titles in this year's lineup are from the US, uh, and maybe half of those, or fewer than half of those, were produced or are being uh, released by AMPTP uh, members. So we're really talking about a handful of films. Uh, those films will be affected in terms of um, attending talent if the strikes are ongoing uh, in a couple of weeks. Well, actually, wait, no, in a week, sorry, in 10 days. Um, 
But um, some of the other films, uh, American films, which do star SAG members, um, have already premiered at, at other festivals. Um, they've secured interim agreements, and actors have appeared in support of those films. Uh, I'm thinking of uh, like our centerpiece film, Priscilla, for instance, which showed uh, in Venice, uh, and Ferrari, uh, our closing night film, which was also in Venice, and also uh, did have actors in attendance. Uh, in terms of the timeline, you know, our program was about 90% uh, final by the time the the actor strike was called, uh, 90% finalized. And um, we, uh, it really wasn't a factor in terms of decision-making uh, in deciding which films were and were not in, in the program. Um, of course, I welcome, uh, if you have additional questions about the strike, I am, of course, happy to address them. Um, I'm going to just give a little bit of an overview because I know I, I, I see uh, some familiar faces here. I know many of you know the festival well. I've been covering it for many years. But I also assume there are some people who are new to the festival and possibly new to covering it. So uh, just a little you know, brief history. Uh, this is our 61st edition. Um, and in many ways, it is the same festival that started in 1963 in that it is a festival without a competition. It is a festival without a marketplace. Uh, we don't have prizes. We don't care too much about premier statuses. So in that sense, I think the identity of the festival has remained the same. Um, it is a somewhat bigger festival than it used to be. Um, and, and, you know, I hope that we as programmers have, um, I think one of, one, of, one of the things we think about is how we reflect and respond to the many changes uh, in film culture, film exhibition, the film landscape that have taken place in the last 60 years while staying true to this, the identity of the film festival. Um, we have... Um, five sections in the festival, uh, and this is something that has been the case since 2020. Um, I've been overseeing, I've been involved in the festival for many years, but um, I've been overseeing the program since 2020, and that year um, we unveiled a new structure, uh, possibly got lost in the shuffle because other things were happening in 2020. Uh, that was also the year, of course, that we did the festival online and in drive-ins, uh, but um, that was the year that um, we decided to have um, these five distinct sections that stand alone and, and also, I think, complement uh, one another. Um, if you look back at the history of the festival, it's always had a main program, uh, which has always been supplemented by sort of ancillary programs. Um, They've often been, you know, there's been documentary sections, there've been experimental sections, mini retrospectives thematic strands, um, those were often called sidebars, which is not a term I love. Um, I think it suggests that those programs, those films are in some way marginal, uh, not the main event. Um, so this new structure that we've, we've been adhering to in the last uh, several years has four standalone sections, uh, sections that have their own distinct identity, but are also, we hope, are in conversation with uh, one another. Uh, so we'll hear from, uh, I'm going to talk about two of the sections, uh, and then um, my colleagues will talk about the other three. I'll start with the main slate, uh, which is, you know, really the, the core of the festival. Um, it has 32 films this year. Um, if you look historically, the, the main slate has often had about for most of the life of this festival, the main slate was 25 or so films. It's a little bigger now, um, partly because we have more cinemas, partly because I think it 
is difficult to really arrive at a, a meaningful summary of the year in cinema uh, in only 25 films. So for, for, for that reason, in part, uh, it is a bigger section. Um, and I think, you know, we don't program thematically. Uh, we don't really have quotas, even though we think of um, balance and diversity in, in, in different senses when, as, we, as we shape the program. Uh, for me, if there's one question that sums up how we think of the main slate, it's, it is this. If, if we are to, to make a case for cinema as an essential art form, as a vital art form, which are the films that we would put forth as evidence? Uh, and I th like to think that the, you know, predis our predecessors, people who've been programming the festival, have been asking themselves some version of this question all along. So it's, that's the question uh, that I think shapes the main slate. Um, and uh, actually, wait, let me run through the other sections before I, I, I get into some main slate highlights. Spotlight is a section that we introduced um, in 2020. Uh, it is, I'd say, about half the size of the main slate. Uh, it is a little bit of a catch-all section. Um, it's a section for what we think of as some of the season's highest profile attractions, special events, uh, one-offs. Um, Currents um, is, I guess, the latest iteration of a section that was previously called Projections and before that, Views from the Avant-Garde. Um, it is partly an experimental section, you could say, um, but we think of this section as a, as a counterpoint to the main slate. Um, it traces a more complete picture of, of, of the cinematic landscape. Um, it's a showcase for films that we think are adventurous, forward-looking, risk-taking in some senses. Uh, a lot of emerging filmmakers uh, show up in Currents, and it's also where most of our shorts programs live. Uh, Tyler will say a little bit more about that. Um, and the revival section, um, we've always had retrospectives and restorations in the festival uh, since 2020 revivals, uh, and Dan will address this. Um, we've thought of re the revival section not just as a way to to celebrate the canon, but to maybe challenge certain things about it and to kind of expand the cinematic canon. Um, and talks, uh, which uh, David and Maddie work on, uh, for the most part, uh, I think pretty much entirely this year, take place in the space. Uh, we do have um, Q and A's uh, at all our screenings, as you know, um, but the talk section is, uh, they're all free as well, I should say. Um, and it's an opportunity to, to go a little more in depth uh, with a filmmaker. Uh, and I'm particularly excited about um, one feature of the talks, uh, you know, the, of, of the last few years, we, we have a, a subsection of talks called uh, cross, cross Cuts. Sorry, crosscuts, um, where we pair uh, two filmmakers, uh, sometimes from different sections, um, and I think having filmmakers in conversation with one another is uh, often, I think, one of the most productive and rewarding things about this section. I think of last year, um, I was fortunate enough to moderate a conversation between Kelly Reichert and Joanna Hogg, who were meeting uh, for the very first time uh, in the space, uh, and and that to me was what was one, I think, one of the most. Um, enlightening conversations um, I've ever been a part of. So um, back to the main slate, um, just let me just say a couple of quick things about it. Um, you probably already know um, our opening night film is uh, May, December by Todd Haynes. Centerpiece is Priscilla by Sofia Coppola. Uh, and closing night is Ferrari by Michael Mann. Uh, these are all North American premieres. Um, and all filmmakers will be in attendance. Uh, I'm especially pleased uh, that we have these three, I think, really 
important figures uh, in American cinema. Um, they all have, you know, pretty long careers at the stage, but they are also of different generations. They make very different films. Um, but I think they are in some ways just models of, of how you can um, have a singular and uncompromising career while making fairly big movies. Um, and Todd, Sophia, and, and Michael Mann, um, they've never been in these um, tentpole slots. Uh, so this is the first time they have gala films at the festival. Uh, no, actually not gala films, sorry. Todd has had gala films. He's never had opening night. Uh, um, his, he has been in uh, the centerpiece slot with Wonderstruck um, a few years ago. Um, I am also... I also wanted to call attention to um, the four first-time filmmakers uh, that we have in the main slate. Um, I think a festival like ours um, and a lot of festivals, I run the risk of a certain kind of predictability in terms of who shows up in, in the program. You know, there's a certain kind of auteur loyalty. Uh, you see this in, in the can lineups as well um, in, in, in all, the, all the major festivals. Um, and I think that can be a virtue, that can be an important thing if you look at the history of the New York Film Festival and just how, how much of a role a festival like this played in introducing Godard and Pasolini and, and um, you know, Fassbinder to, to, to audiences. Um, to New York audiences uh, and American audiences, and 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 as a viewer, I think it was you know, I think Richard Pena's loyalty to certain filmmakers in the '90s uh, that was eye-opening for me, really important. I discovered filmmakers like Abbas Kiarostami, Manuel de Oliveira, Hoshio Xian through uh, Richard's programming of the festival. So, which is all to say that we do have um, returning many returning filmmakers, a lot of familiar faces. Um, we have, I think. Aki Karismaki, uh, he won't be here in person, he doesn't travel uh, these days, but he's, this is his eighth time in the festival. Um, we have Agnieszka Holland uh, and Catherine Brea, who are back with their sixth films in the festival. Uh, we have Hong Sang-soo with his 21st and 22nd films in the festival. Um, he's obviously more prolific than most filmmakers. Um, but we do have uh, filmmakers who are not just appearing for the first time in the festival, but making the feature debuts. Uh, and I'm particularly excited about these four films. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm excited for audiences to discover them. Uh, one is a film by Raven Jackson called All Dirt Road's Taste of Salt. Uh, Raven, we're also especially pleased uh, because she was a member of the Artist Academy um, at the film festival maybe five or six years ago. Um, this film, I thought was one of the highlights of um, Sundance this year. Um, another first-time filmmaker, uh, Annie Baker, uh, the playwright, Pulitzer-winning playwright. She has a play on uh, downtown right now called Infinite Life. Um, this is a film called Janet Planet. Uh, and I think, you know, what's really interesting in both Raven's and Annie's films is that they, Raven's a, a writer, a poet, and also a photographer. Annie's a playwright. Uh, and I think it's really interesting to see them come to cinema uh, and, and, and to figure out this language, uh, you know, given their, their backgrounds in other disciplines, uh, and to do something entirely, entirely um, original. Um, like Annie Baker, for instance, I think she's, there's no attempt here to translate stage to screen. She's not trying to put her plays, she's not trying to film her plays. Uh, this is, this is something else entirely. Uh, two other, two other first-time filmmakers, um, Felipe Galvez, uh, from Chile, who's, uh, made a film called The Settlers. Um, this is, I think, one of, you know, we've seen our share of 
Westerns and neo-Westerns, uh, you know, politically, um, films that often have a political point of view in terms of, of, of addressing and, and rethinking uh, mythologies uh, and histories. And I think this film is, is, is a great example um, done in the context of the history of, of Chile. Um, and the last one is uh, a film by Paul Preciado, uh, theorist um, and curator and writer, uh, whose writings I, I, I highly recommend um, if you're not familiar with them. Uh, Preciado uh, has made a film called Orlando, My Political Biography. Um, it is uh, a pretty unusual biography, a, a sort of a, a documentary portrait of himself, uh, but sort of filtered through the lens of uh, Virginia Woolf's Orlando. Uh, so these are four films that I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to have in, in, in the main slate. We don't often have first-time filmmakers uh, in, in, in the main slate. You know, often we think about a filmmaker's body of work as we're, as, as we're looking at a film or, or, or making decisions. In, in this case, we're just really going on this film. So I, I think to, 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 to put a, a first-time filmmaker in a relatively small program is a little bit of a, a bet, you know, kind of a statement of, of faith and, and belief uh, in the work that they will go on to do. Um, let me just say a few words about Spotlight, and then I will hand it off to um, Tyler. Uh, so Spotlight, you know, what we've been trying to do with this section is to create something that 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 works on a section that works onto itself, um, that doesn't seem like an afterthought that doesn't seem secondary to the to the main slate, um, and we tried to have fun with it this year. Um, you know, I I should one other thing I should say is that the sections are not. Um, you know, there there are not strict delineations between sections. Um, the current team, I I sit on both committees. We we often do you know share films between Mainslay and Carnes, and we have larger conversations about where films would work. So many of the films in Spotlight could work in the main slate, um, and. I said we don't program thematically, but you know. But one thing I'm, that I think is striking this year is just how many of these films. It became clear to us how many of these films speak to the intersection of cinema and um, the other arts, the other disciplines. Uh, there are two really fascinating portraits of writers: uh, Errol Morris's film on John Le Carré, *The Pigeon Tunnel*, um, and Joe Brewster and Michelle Stevenson's film uh, on uh, Nikki Giovanni. Uh, we are very excited. Obviously, Lucare um, has passed away, um, but Nikki Giovanni will be here uh, in support of the film. There are two food films. Uh, we just couldn't resist putting them together in the section. It is possible to watch them as a double bill. Um, Tran An Hong's the, uh, the Taste of Things, previously known as uh, Pot of Fu, which was uh, winner of the Best Director. Um, Prize in Cannes, um, and Frederick Wiseman's uh, four-hour documentary about this um, three Michelin star French restaurant, uh, Le Trois Gros, uh, one of, I think, Wiseman's great recent films. Um, and there's a music strand, I think, that, that really runs through uh, Spotlight. Um, we have a Spotlight Gala this year, which is a North American premiere of um, Bradley Cooper's uh, film on Leonard Bernstein, Maestro. Uh, we're very excited to be doing that. Um, it's screening in David Geffen Hall, which is, of course, the home of the Philharmonic. Uh, so it feels very special to, to, to have the premiere there. Um, we have uh, one of my favorite films in the entire program, uh, a an extraordinary concert film, portrait film of Ryuchi Sakamoto called Opus. Sakamoto died earlier this year. Uh, this was his last concert. Um, it's just him at a piano. 
filmed by his son. Uh, it's an incredibly moving uh, and beautiful film. Um, and uh, we have a film with uh, live accompaniment. Uh, Yorgos Lantimos, of course, has uh, a film in the main slate, Poor Things, but um, he's also made, and he made the film, I think, two years ago, a 30-minute um, black and white 35 millimeter uh, short film with Emma Stone uh, and Damien Bonnard. Um, this film is designed only to ever be shown on this 35 millimeter print and with live accompaniment. So we will have an ensemble and a chorus accompanying this film um, uh, at the screening of Bleat. Um, also, I think, you know, it's interesting music uh, in for one, Harmony Corinne's Agro Drift uh, and uh, um, The Curse. Uh, we're showing, we're not a festival that typically makes room for television. Uh, we don't think film festivals need necessarily to show TV. Um, we made an exception in the case of The Curse um, because it's a collaboration between uh, Nathan Fielder and Benny Safdie, uh, a filmmaker we have a long association with. Um, uh, we're showing the first three hours of this um, in 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 uh, Tully, and uh, we'll be doing. We're actually going to be showing uh, episodes four through ten as well in our cinemas uh, when it airs uh, on I think a weekly or biweekly, by bi probably biweekly um, at biweekly intervals um, when the when the series airs on Showtime. Uh, I think I'll stop there and give you know these guys a few minutes each to say a little bit about their section. So Tyler is going to start uh, with currents and shorts. Um, I'll I'll jump right into our opening night selection um, mainly because I think it really speaks to the spirit of the section that Dennis was describing. Um, it is. Uh, it, Eduardo Teddy Williams's follow-up to his film *The Human Surge*, which he made a few years ago, and um, I, it is an ambitious, risk-taking uh, film from a, a, a director who, not while not new, I think is really just getting started. Um, it takes a similar setup uh, as the first *Human Surge*, and there is no *Human Surge 2*, uh, in that there are three distinct locations in this film. He's uh, shooting in Sri Lanka, Taiwan, and Peru. Um, but in this film, he's not so much uh, connecting these locations or building to connecting these locations in any sort of linear fashion as much as he uh, sort of melts them into one uh, cinematic image. Uh, and the, the main way he's achieving that effect is uh, by shooting the film on a 360-degree camera, which he and his actors uh, operate from location to location. Um, and then he edited um, using a VR headset, which he then presents um, on a, a flattened cinematic image. I, I think it is um, absolutely a film that you should not watch on a, on a laptop, as appropriate as it might sound. Um, definitely um, an in-theater experience. Um, it is disorienting and probably like nothing you've ever seen before but it's and it's also a, a very strange kind of hangout film that i think invites us to think about how we you know relate to people and 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 places um, while being extremely connected right now as the real world is collapsing around us um Dennis also mentioned Currents um, often invites emerging filmmakers, uh, and so and we have two feature debuts in the features lineup this year that I thought I would highlight as well. Uh, the first is um, Joanna Arno, uh, the feeling that the time for doing something has passed. Um, we have shown Joanna Arno's shorts um, before, and uh, similarly in her feature, um, it, 
it is distinct for her sort of uh, confrontational, um, brutal honesty and self-deprecating sense of humor. Um, often she's you know drawing on her own life. She is written, directed, edited, and she stars in this film. Um, and yeah, I think it is just um, a very uh, clear window into her personality and, and vision as a filmmaker. I think she's one of the most um, exciting uh, new voices in American cinema and also a local filmmaker. Uh, the other feature debut is um, Inside the Yellow Cocoon Shell by Fan Thianan. Um, uh, both of these features premiered in the um, Director's Fortnight section at Cannes, and um, Inside the Yellow Cocoon Shell uh, was awarded the camera door, um, given to the best uh, first feature, and I really do think it is uh, a really staggering um, feature debut. Um, it is ostensibly a road movie, but it is uh, you know taking on many sort of generally unwieldy themes like death and spirituality and, and, and fleshes them out um, with complexity through uh, characters that feel genuinely alive. Um, and he's also taking these really risky, meticulously choreographed um, long take gambits throughout the film, some of which um, I'm not even sure how he pulled off. Um, uh, another film that, while not is while not a, a feature debut, I think might be a career breakthrough of sorts, is Mambar Pierrette from Rosine Mbakum. Um, Rosine is already an established documentary filmmaker. Um, we've actually showed one of the films that she co-directed a couple years ago called Prism. Um, and and here, I think she's very clearly bringing that documentary experience into uh, you know her first foray into narrative feature filmmaking. Uh, kind of character studies sculpted around her her actual cousin and other family members um, in her hometown in Cameroon, and I think uh, I think her connection to actors and and uh, just really comes through in this film, which is just very gentle and and, and just warmly drawn. Uh, um, an another film that I think is maybe the most personal film in the lineup. Uh, is Mika Reverez's Nowhere Near. Um, this is a sort of continuation uh, of uh, his film that he made a few years ago called No Data Plan, which um, uh, detailed his sort of status as an undocumented person in the United States and, and here now, um, many, many years later, um, now working with, after an immense amount of research and a lot of footage to work with, uh, he's sort of now reflecting uh, on his likely permanent departure from the United States. Uh, uh, it is a, an extremely, I think, really an emotionally raw um, documentary about you know family and, and belonging um, that I, I don't think you should miss. Um, I don't know if I, I'm talking too much, or, or I, more highlights. Or, okay, I'll, I'll jump to the shorts because there are um, 36, 38 if you count the um, medium length program that is technically housed in our features, but maybe I'll start with that because I think um, uh, it works as a nice bridge into the sort of spectrum of films we're trying to showcase in throughout the current shorts uh, programs. Um, that's a program, uh, it begins with, actually it is, Starts with a film that we, I think, saw quite early on in our process. Um, many of the films I'm sure you'll recognize um, from their premieres in other international festivals. And, and this film we, we saw in Berlin and, and invited soon after called Mangostein, um, directed by uh, Tulipop Sendrin. Uh, this is a, it's a very funny, clever uh, sort of uh, narrative film that is, I think, uh, 
deeply interested in pushing at the boundaries of what storytelling can look like in a film. It is um, shot completely on a high eight, a camera which gives the film a kind of uh, uh, deliberately low resolution, soggy quality that um, is is more more charming and, and watchable than I, maybe that sounds. Uh, <laughs> uh, this is Tulipop's first time in the New York Film Festival, and he's. Um, showing uh, alongside Josh Salanz's film, We Don't Talk Like We Used To. Uh, this is a very thematically different film. Um, it's more of a documentary and not working in the kind of uh, sort of diaristic mode. Uh, it's also more frenetic on, a, I think, a formal level um, with the way Josh is sort of whipping between different locations and, and using different formats. Um, yeah, and also I should note that um, his film is one of the very few that um, in the, the festival that are screening on uh, celluloid. It'll be projected on a 35 millimeter print. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think these two films sort of just suggest the, the many guises that I think innovation uh, shows up in with the short films. Um, we have um, films that um, beyond um, their festival premieres are, are, are works that have been sort of uh, reformatted to screen in a cinema context. So they're films that um, that have previously shown in maybe a, a gallery or an installation. Um, one of those films is um, Arya Dean's Abattoir USA, um, where she uh, sort of invents uh, the interior of a slaughterhouse and projects it into uh, a, a virtual space using Unreal Engine, um, which is like a 3D graphics uh, program that I think originated with originated for the video game industry for ga uh, game design and has since been um, is now widely used by uh, in film and television. But um, another film is um, Larry, uh, directed by uh, Takeshi Murata and Chris Rutledge. This is um, a, a pretty short, I think, four minute series of um, I guess like glitched glitched out melting animations. Um, centered around this character that they've created um, called Larry, who, which is um, essentially a, like a basketball playing basset hound. Uh, it is, it's a personal favorite. I think it's just a very um, uh, short, effective, trippy film. Um, uh, other, other shorts um, in the lineup um, are sort of the result of an immense amount of research, some of which, um, uh, a few of which uh, work almost exclusively with archival or found footage. Um, there's a film like Sensitive Content from Nargis Kalor, who's uh, dealing, uh, detailing the sort of the detailing the, the women life freedom movement in Iran solely through found cell phone footage of uh, protesters um, and subsequent retaliation by the police. Um, and it's exactly this footage that. Um, is posted on social media and deemed by various platforms as sensitive content and it's blurred out sort of original meaning of these images is, is kind of obscured or, or defanged. Um, another film that is dealing with archival footage and also um, approaches censorship um, on slightly more like intimate terms is Mariam Tafakori's um, Mastel. Um, she's drawing from like hundreds of Iranian films to manipulate and sort of almost render abstract and kind of serve as a backdrop for um, uh, a more of a confessional text. And then um, you have a film like Ungentle, which is directed by Onyeka Igwe and 
um, Hugh Lemmy, who have um, sort of fabricated this 40-minute, nearly um, unbroken monologue narrated by Ben Wishaw that um, connects uh, spycraft to uh, gay life in the 20th century, uh, in, in, in early 20th century Britain. Um, yeah, um, I, I could mention a few more, but maybe the other thing I just want to point out about our process, um, so in addition to tracking films that um, screen um, at festivals where, or where were recommended films from other filmmakers and advisors, we also uh, take into consideration the thousands of films that are submitted to us through Film Freeway. Um, and this is just the online submissions platform that we uh, evaluate work from really around the world. Uh, this year we received like three, almost 3,000 films um, and we have selected films from that pool. We work with a, a team of short screeners that we, um, who evaluate each work and we work, um, we regularly check in with and discuss films that are sort of high on their list. Um, maybe I can mention what some of those films are later if there's time, but I just wanted to also uh, mention that because it's a, a, a major part of our, our process um, when it comes to the short film uh, programming. Um, but yeah, um, I'll stop for now um, and hand it over to my colleague Dan Sullivan to talk about uh, revivals. This episode is brought to you by Ovid, a curated streaming service of rare idiosyncratic films from around the world. This month, Ovid premieres a unique collection of 18 early shorts by French New Wave directors, all now restored, with films by Godard, Lunier, Rivette, Truffaut, and Varda. Classics like Godard's Charlotte and Her Boyfriend, starring Jean-Paul Belmondo, are featured alongside films by lesser-known directors, never before released in the United States, such as Guy Gilles' Paris, A Winter's Day, Maurice Pialat's Janine, and Jean Barbillon's The Botanical Avatar of Mademoiselle Flora, starring Bernadette Lafont. Called an absolutely magnificent collection by Jean Cinema, Ovid examines life through a different lens. Sign up at ovid.tv today for your free 7-day trial. That's O-V-I-D dot T-V. Uh, okay, I'm going to keep it uh, relatively brief, relatively general. Um, so like Dennis was uh, saying, I think one of one of my my uh, co-programmer, uh, Florence Almazzini's uh, goals each uh, each year that we've been working on revivals is to challenge certain conceptions about what kind of film gets shown in the context of a classics or revivals section at a film festival. So... Um, on the one hand, you know we have uh, we have some films in in this year's lineup that are about as canonical as it gets. Uh, we're showing the new the latest restoration of Avalgance's uh, La Rue, uh, the most complete version of La Rue uh, to date, uh, like seven and a half hours. So um, block out the time now. Um, but uh, but you know but we're also uh, trying to leave uh, more than enough room to uh, to spotlight uh, films that might fall through the cracks um, when uh, festivals are putting on uh, sections such as this. So uh, of particular interest to us are, uh, are films that are being restored from the 1970s, 80s, and 90s, which tend not to get as much play. Um, 
uh, or we've observed that they don't tend to get as much play. Uh, so, uh, with that in mind, you know, we're we're like we're presenting a new, uh, very exciting new restoration of Nancy Savoka's Household Saints. Uh, independent film shot here in new york uh, in the 1990s um so so yeah that's all that film is 70 years younger than la rue so that uh maybe that speaks to kind of the 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 breadth of history that we're that we're trying to cover with the section um we also uh we also want to spotlight restorations that um yeah, it might not turn up in these other contexts because there's actually a, there's a, a, an immense range of uh, really exciting film restoration and film preservation efforts going on. Uh, but uh, I'd say a relatively small fraction of them actually wind up uh, uh, participating in, in festivals uh, like this. So, um, so yeah. Uh, and then I'll say maybe I'll just call out a few things uh, things that might be of particular interest in this year's lineup um we there's we have a a few kind of like inadvertent the, like with all the other sections we don't program ours with like a preconceived uh notion of what kind of themes or topics or whatever that we want to explore with the section but uh inevitably those things just kind of come about um so for instance uh with this year's revival section we're showing a couple of uh there are a couple of programs of artists films that I think are should be of particular interest. Uh, Nikki de Saint Falls, the new 4K restoration of Nikki de Saint Falls, Unrev Plus Longue La Nuit, um, which uh, I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with uh, Saint Falls' uh, work and other artistic media, um, you know, sculpture, painting, uh, you name it. She uh, tried her hand at tarot cards, very, very good maker of tarot cards. Um, but uh, in any event, uh, this is her second feature film, the first one that she uh, directed on her own. Um, and so actually, and that, that reminds me, another thing that sort of, um, that maybe Revival's uh, shares with this year's main slate or, um, you know, spotlighting work by a few people who came to cinema from other arts. So Sound Falls, of course, you know, a really salient example of that. But it, we also have an example of that in the in the form that we're doing a program of early films by Man Ray, um, who um, I'm sure many of you, you know, know from other contexts. But, but here, um, uh, these are some really exciting early films uh, by Man Ray that um, are uh, tremendously uh, interesting in terms of uh, their approach to kind of to visualizing objects and um, and and uh, working out how like rhythm works in in cinema and those and those are going to be accompanied by a new score uh, by none other than uh, uh, by none other than Squirrel uh, S Q U with the Mbloth and uh, uh, RL, um, which is a band comprised of New York Film Fest, this year's New York Film Festival uh, poster designer, Jim Jarmish, and his collaborator, Carter Logan. So, um, so they've, uh, they've come up with some, some uh, very good new tunes that accompany these films. So check that out. And then, I mean, I, I think I'm just going to wrap it up, wrap it up here by uh, calling your attention to a couple of, um, of uh, discovery, well, what were discoveries from my co-programmer uh, Florence and I, which um, you know is is 
yeah, that's just an important uh, 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 thing that we're, that we're after um, when we're working on the section. Um, and uh, two exciting films from the Middle East, um, uh, The Dupes uh, from the early uh, 70s um, by Tufik Saleh, um, who I, I believe is uh, is Egyptian, but the film was made in, in Syria. Um which uh, I don't want to say too much about because I think uh, I won't. I wouldn't say it's pleasures, but maybe just its effect kind of resides in going along uh, with uh, the terrible ride it it uh, it takes you on. But I will say that if you uh, if you like the wages of fear or perhaps uh, the late William Freakin's uh, Sorcerer, that you'll probably want to. Um, see the dupes and then likewise an iranian film uh uh from i think i want to say 74 um but uh uh the stranger in the fog um by uh baram by by easy um which uh uh is a uh terribly accomplished like one of the most visually remarkable films in this year's festival i think and um and just a totally fascinating film that uh, contains this entire like imagined mythology that has no actual relationship to any uh any any well it has like a tangential relationship to some folklores from iranian history but it's but it's a it's a, a totally visionary crazy um crazy thing that um you should all check out and then lastly i just want to note um we are show we're doing the joint world premiere of the new restoration of horace ove's pressure from 1975 so we're sharing that with the london film festival um it's one of the great british films in the 1970s and horace ove uh, passed away just the other day so you know we'll be we'll of course be doing these um screenings in in dedication uh to him uh really one of the greats so i'm gonna leave it there uh i'm gonna stop talking so that i can pass it on to the talks programmers all right um so talks like dennis said uh we have a section dedicated to conversations i don't imagine that you will tire of all the movies that my colleagues have talked about but if should you need a break from watching there will be a talk almost every day of the festival in this room, completely free. Uh, we really try to use this section as an opportunity to connect the films in the festival to interesting conversations happening, to, happening today, to bring artists in conversation with each other um, and to just engage more widely with the audience. Um, the talks have three sections. We have Deep Focus, which... Uh, is a series of one-on-one -on -one talks with artists or filmmakers from the lineup, really career-spanning conversations. We have crosscuts, which Dennis alluded to, which is something Maddie and I spend a lot of time working on and have all these wild ideas, and sometimes they come to life, which is to just bring together two filmmakers from the lineup who may or may not know each other, but we think should hang out together. Uh, and then we have roundtables, which are, you know, which are, wider panel discussions that are thematically organized. Um, I'll shout out a few of my highlights from across the lineup and then hand it over to Maddie. As Dennis said, these are not announced yet. The release goes out tomorrow, so this is a very exclusive preview. Um, I, I will say that one special element of the talks lineup that Maddie and I came up with in 2021 was the Amos Vogel Lecture. Amos Vogel, if you don't know, is the uh, was the co-founder of the New York Film Festival and an incredibly important 
critic and curator in New York City. He wrote a book called Film as a Subversive Art that's kind of a Bible for many people. And we celebrated his centenary in 2021. And we thought that we should uh, honor his legacy every year at the festival. And so we established the Amos Vogel Lecture. And since then, every year we've invited an artist or thinker who we feel really embodies Vogel's spirit of subversion and cinephilia to come give a talk, followed by a talkback. So we had Albert Serra the first year and then Colleen Smith the second year. And this year, I'm so thrilled uh, to say that Paul B. Preciado, the director of Orlando, My Political Biography, will be delivering the Amos Vogel Lecture. I'm really excited about this. I, I saw that film in Berlin and I like I immediately loved it. I immediately wanted Paul to come give this lecture because he's a brilliant scholar. If if you know his work, he wrote a really pioneering book in 2006 called Testo Junkie, which I recommend uh, if you're interested to read. Uh, but this film is really very erudite, uh, brings his kind of scholarly perspective uh, to his and a number of other trans participants' experience uh, of being, you know, trans in this world. But it's also super fun. It's a musical. There's original songs written by Paul. It's like, it, it has pop colors and little in-jokes. And it was just, I just had so much fun watching this treatise about trans life and how it relates to Virginia Woolf's like 1928 novel. Anyway, uh, I just want to really champion that film and encourage you to come out to Paul's lecture, which I think is sure to be as intelligent and exuberant as the film is. Um, in the deep focus section, I'll shout out a couple of things I'm excited about. Uh, one of them is a conversation with Todd Haynes, the director of May, December. And guess what? Talks of films too. Because uh, with that talk with Todd Haynes, we're actually going to show a short film, like present the U.S. premiere of a short film that Todd made called Image Book for the Centre Pompidou in Paris that is sort of about the making of May-December. Uh, and it's named In Tribute to Godard. So it's a really special short, you know, it's about 17 minutes. So we'll show the film and then we'll have a talk with Todd and then we'll also display his actual image book for May-December, which has reference images and location shots. Dennis and I got a glimpse of it at Cannes, and it was really special. So that's, uh, I think, one of the deep focus talks we're really thrilled about. And the other deep focus uh, talk I'll shout out is a conversation with Nikki Giovanni, um, who's a legend, a legendary poet, Black Power, Black Arts Movement uh, kind of pioneer. And I think an opportunity to talk with her you know, for an hour is just going to be quite incredible. Uh, the talk is moderated by the author Edwidge Danticat. Um, so super thrilled about that. And I'll just mention one particular crosscut talk uh, that I'm excited about, one of our uh, aforementioned wild ideas, which is bringing together Eduardo Williams, whose uh, film The Human Search 3 opens currents. Uh, Tyler just, just talked about it bringing him in conversation with Wang Bing, the Chinese documentarian that you might know. Uh, his film Youth Spring is in the main slate, and we're also showing his short film Man in Black. And they're, I mean, come to the talk to find out how they're connected, but I'll just say that if there are two films that I feel like, you know, 
decades from now, I will remember as snapshots of what life was like in 2023. These are the two films I would point to. They really kind of distill the experience of being alive today with be it, you know, with the, with technological developments, with the way capitalism and production works, what it me- feels like to be young today. So I'm excited to have those two filmmakers uh, in conversation. And I'll hand it over to Maddie to shout out some other highlights. Sure, yes. I am. Um, I'm so excited uh, by the array of filmmakers who we were able to kind of rope into these conversations this year. It's, I think, um, the, the nice thing about having these three different types of talks in the program means that we can really play with um, formats and, and sort of what kind of uh, insights we want to draw out of each filmmaker. So for instance, uh, in going back to the deep focus section, um, two other events that I want to shout out are uh, a deep focus conversation with uh, Catherine Breyard, the French filmmaker, who's um, coming back to the festival after a decade uh, with her latest film last summer, uh, one of my favorites in the lineup. And uh, it'll be a really, I think, meaty uh, career spanning conversation where we can look back on uh, her her filmography in total, which I think late summer is kind of a beautiful uh, punctuation point in. Um, and and so when we have sort of a, a career master at the festival, we like to have this opportunity to draw them out and, and get sort of a, a wide ranging uh, perspective on their careers, their body of work, um, and, and their sort of current moment in their uh, creative lives. Um, another deep focus conversation that I'm very excited about is with the actress, uh, Sandra Huller. Uh, she's a German actress who's in two main slate selections this year, uh, Anatomy of a Fall by Justine Trier and uh, Zone of Interest, Jonathan Glazer's new film. Um, she is uh, really, I think, a force in uh, as, as one of the great contemporary European performers uh, who's really sort of broken out onto the scene in recent years. She's been in prior uh, NYFF selections, Tony Erdman, which you may have seen a few years ago, and um, Sybil, also directed by Justine Trier. And uh, so we like to, uh, you know, we, we love filmmakers and directors, but we also like to highlight um, other elements of cinematic craft. And so I think it's exciting, especially when you have a, an actor who's in uh, who's represented twice in the lineup uh, to be able to draw them out in this context that allows them to uh, speak about different reference points in their filmographies and and how their craft uh, bridges genres and styles and and directorial voices. Um, to that end, uh, the, this this to the point about um, highlighting the voices of cinematic crafts, people who aren't necessarily in the director's chair. Uh, we have a cross-cuts conversation this year that I'm, I'm excited about uh, that we co-organized, co-curated with uh, the uh, American Cinema ed- American Cinema Editors, uh, ACE, uh, which is an organization, uh, a professional organization of editors. Uh, it will feature uh, Sandra Adair, the editor of Hitman, in the uh, spotlight section this year, and Jonathan Alberts, a uh, longtime collaborator with Andrew Haig and 
uh, the editor of Higgs, Main Slate Selection, All of Us Strangers. Um, and uh, the conversation will be moderator, moderated by a fellow editor, Joseph Krings, who uh, I think will uh, promises to do a great job of drawing out uh, in real detail uh, some insights about the profession of editing as it applies to these specific films and to the professional lives of these two editors uh, who we will get to uh, really pick the brains of while they're here. Um, another Crosscuts, I'll just shout out two other Crosscuts, and then maybe I'll toss it back to Devika to talk about uh, the roundtables in this year's program. Uh, but the other two Crosscuts that I want to shout out are uh, one with the two two of the first-time filmmakers in the main slate that Dennis mentioned, uh, the playwright Annie Baker and the uh, poet-photographer Raven Jackson, uh, whose films uh, Alder Road's Taste of Salt and Janet Planet are two highlights of the main slate, I think independently of their first feature debut status. Um, these, uh, you know, as Dennis mentioned, these two, these are two women who came to filmmaking after having established careers in other art forms. And I think the films have some surprising resonances in their subject matter, in their sort of approach to storytelling um, that I'm excited to, to explore in the context of a conversation. Uh, and then similarly, uh, we are pairing two filmmakers from other sections of the festival. Um, Joanna Arno, whose film The Feeling That the Time Has Doing Something Has Passed, The Time For Doing Something Has Passed, uh, is in the current section, as Tyler mentioned. And uh, Nancy Savoka, whose film Household Saints, Dan mentioned in the context of the revival section. Uh, these are two uh, women directors, New York-based, working in the independent, like in an extremely independent production context uh, at a 30-year remove. So um, Nancy's film Household Saints was released in 1993, uh, so 30 years prior to Joanna's feature debut, uh, which is showing in Currents. And I think uh, both films are incredibly uh, funny and in, in sort of different registers of deadpan or dry, sardonic uh, kind of humor. And they uh, are very much rooted in their New York locations and in the sort of lived context where they were made. And I'm just excited to put these two women on the stage together to uh, get into their creative process and practice and um, perspectives on independent filmmaking in New York um, uh, in, in this very personal mode of uh, storytelling. So um, those are some of my highlights of the uh, uh, talks program. And you'll be able to peruse the full lineup uh, tomorrow when the press release goes out. Um, be, be on the lookout tomorrow. I won't say what they are, but I'll just say that Film Comment, a publication of Film at Lincoln Center that I edit, will be your go-to destination for NYFF coverage. And we'll also have a very exciting presence in the talks program, as will be re revealed tomorrow. 